0: Welcome, everyone. We're your hosts, Jennifer Cook DeRosa and Shelley Cloutier, and you're listening to College on the Cheap. If there's one thing a high school student can do in high school that is going to make the difference between being able to cash full college or taking on debt. It's going to be dual enrollment. In today's episode, we are going to talk to you about how every student can find success with dual enrollment you might be able to shave one or even two years of college tuition right off the top. Some of your teens might wanna work on an entire associate's degree in high school that can either lead them to a job or even transfer off to a four year university. If you act on the strategies that we're gonna talk about today, your student can easily save about $50,000 if they're planning to attend an in-state public university. Now, if you're talking about a a private university, you're talking about almost six figures. So today's episode, super important to learning how to go to college on the cheap. So we're going to jump in and see if we can help you find that success with dual enrollment. Shelley, can you start us off by talking
1: about what dual enrollment even is and what it means? Sure, the uh, dual enrollment, if we're talking uh, we're talking about when someone is in high school and of course they're taking their high school classes. Dual enrollment is when they take a college class and they get college credit while they are still technically a high school student and so sometimes that looks like a homeschooler who's uh, going uh, going to the college and taking the class or sometimes that looks like a public schooler who is in at their campus at high school and they might bring in somebody from the college teach on the high school campus they might allow that student to go off campus and go over to the college to take that class. It is when you are in high school before you have graduated. That's dual enrollment.
0: And and, dual being two. So you're getting credit twice, right?
1: Right. So it's it, they call it dual enrollment. They You might see it as DE. If you're uh, reading articles about it, they just say DE. Uh, but there's a few things that dual enrollment is not. It is not when you're taking classes, say, um, off of course off the internet and it gives you something called ACE credit. That's not dual enrollment. Dual enrollment is when you are actually taking the class from the college, a college professor, and you're getting, uh, you will then get college credit at that college. And then we go into, okay, well, you're getting it at that college, but say I'm not going to get my degree from them, will it transfer over? to the college I actually want to get the degree from.
0: And of course it does, which is
1: one of the reasons we love it. Right, so it's a high, tra- you would call that a high transferability, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think the key here people have to pay attention to, I think you hit right on it, where you said it's not just a, a normal class like ACE credit. We've talked about ACE credit in other episodes. An example of that might be um, taking a, a course through a business that's ACE credit. and. And you can get college credit that way, but that is not dual enrollment. Dual enrollment, folks, is a very, very different thing because you're getting a grade and you're getting a transcript from a college. So it is a whole different um, distinction. And we're going to go through some of the reasons why you have to kind of put this in a different bucket, if you will.
1: Right. This is going to be, you know, when you take this class, if you do not pass, it is on your record.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, that's,
1: and that is not to be taken lightly.
0: So, I mean, you wouldn't want your student to fail one of these courses. And so that's a little different than when we were talking about, like, the ACE credit that we were talking about before. And, and we, we talk a lot about ACE credit in the episode $3 college credit because, I mean, you could do a class. You could do um, a CLEP exam or, or something like that. That doesn't generate a paper trail. That doesn't leave a permanent mark that's negative in any way, shape, or form. So that is very different than what we're talking about today. And so parents should be aware that the classes that we're talking about today absolutely are part of their student's permanent record.
1: Are there any recommendations that, are things that you look at to, for a parent to be able to tell if they think that their child is ready for dual enrollment? Oh my gosh. Well,
0: let's, let's, talk, about, let's talk about some of those pieces because I think if we talk about how dual enrollment works Right. And kind of this the purpose of it, it's going to help parents kind of put together this in their mind. Now, I would say that as a rule of thumb, the overwhelming majority of colleges who allow your student to do this are really focused on students in about 11th and 12th grade. That's that's Mm -hmm. really the norm. That's when most programs are available. Now, there are some outliers that let your student be much younger. I I don't know if we're going to have time to talk about, you know, specific cool programs in this episode but we'll you know we'll talk about what's the norm i guess right and so if you're looking at a student that's in 11th and 12th grade you're going to want to look at a student who is academically on or above grade level and if your student is taking a class like an honors class they are most probably you know oh and they're passing their honors class mm-hmm. they're most probably ready for a dual enrollment so like for instance Just to give you like a very simple example, instead of taking 12th grade honors English, a student might take English 101. So that would be an example of how you would use dual enrollment. It actually would replace the class on your student's schedule. So instead of them going to high school honors English, they would either go to or take the class online for English 101.
1: And then remember, this class at college is a semester. While it would have been a whole year's worth...
0: Oh, and so yes. you're cutting down on
1: time. You're getting the th- the three credits from the college, and that's in a semester, but you're also getting the one credit you need for the entire year. Oh, and and then
0: if you're really resourceful, which we're going to talk about, we want you to also fill that same time slot with English too. That's right. <laughs> because now you have the same time slot. It might only be, you know, an hour. In, and so you're going to use semester 1 to take English 1, and then you'll take – English 2 in the second semester. So Mm -hmm. you have that one time slot that's giving you two hours of high school English, because that's the dual part, and then you're getting six college credits of English through a college. And so not only are you getting two times the credit for, for one time the work, you're also freeing up space to do extra classes. And so if you have these high school requirements and you're starting to knock them out, as soon as you do that, you really are going to get some traction and it just compounds and the snowballs. And so you can end up with an enormous amount of high school and college credit once you start doing dual enrollment.
1: Right. And you just get ahead. Now, I will say that I think that also you prob- you need to be a good reader. You're going to mm-hmm. be reading a lot and you need to be able to write a basic essay sure be a good writer and reader that really up your chances of being successful because it gosh it is so much reading in college
0: yeah I mean so I want to I want to talk about one other thing before we go too far down the road because some of the classes particularly the ones with lots of reading and writing some of those classes are going to have your student reading things that are meant for adults Mm -hmm. and You know, if you're talking about 11th or 12th grader, it it may not even be on your radar. It might not be a concern. But you have to, as a parent, be comfortable with the idea that they could be reading what you may consider adult content. Okay? And I'm not going to, you know, go too much into it other than to say, you know your student best. And so, you know, just be aware that a class like literature that is going to certainly involve lots of literature is kind of meant to be a little provocative, right? Like it's kind of meant to get the students thinking and discussing and and especially if it's controversial because the colleges want your student to know why was this piece of, of work controversial and and so they're gonna actually encourage some of this controversy. Now you look at a class like uh, pre-calculus, there's not any controversy in pre-calculus. That's just math, right? Right. So you know you kind of have to think about that as you're as you're planning that a class like that isn't necessarily going to have, you know, issues. But be aware that the classes with lots of reading and writing certainly can bring in adult content. And the other piece I will say is as you're as you're choosing classes, if your student is enrolled somewhere like a public or a private high school, that high school is going to have an opinion about what and where they can get college credit for high school credit. And so what I mean by that, is if your high school participates with a local community college, they've got it set up, they're going to have a list of classes that you can choose from. They're going to have requirements for eligibility. They're going to make a lot of those decisions as it relates to high school credit. Okay. Now, that I want to emphasize, and Shelly and I have talked about this before we came on today, you don't have to you know, limit your college credit Based on what the high school wants your student to do, but what you have to understand is that if they're in charge of awarding high school credit, they may not give high school credit if you operate outside that system. Right. So you know, if you're in North Carolina, where I am, we have free dual enrollment through the public, private, and homeschool uh, pathways. So you can you can be any type of school and get that credit, but a homeschooler in North Carolina has autonomy choose whatever classes they want, whereas a public school student is is going to be required to kind of be more narrow in the classes they can choose and how those classes apply. So for instance, a high school student in North Carolina, if they are in public school, the high school requires that they take English 1 and English 2 in order to get a year of high school English, whereas a homeschool parent doesn't have to to do that. You know, I don't want to go too far down a rabbit hole and talk about why that might be, but, you know, keep in mind a high school doesn't want you to graduate early. So they may have requirements that are a little different. So it's important that you look at whether or not your student has um, rules that they're going to have to follow to get that high school credit, and you can choose whether or not you want to comply. And what I mean by that is if you're willing to self-pay and you're willing to not have them get high school credit your student can still do dual enrollment, but they're just not gonna get the high school credit. And you may, you may say, well, gosh, why do I even wanna do that? Well, because dual enrollment, which we haven't said yet, is sometimes free, but it's always um, a reduced tuition than what you're gonna pay after high school.
1: Right, and you also wanna take into account that your, uh, your schedule, if you're not working with the, system, the high school system and you do it outside the system, you've got your whole high school schedule And then you're adding college classes on top of that instead of working it into the high school schedule. And so that takes up more in your day, more time in your day. Yeah, it's
0: much more efficient if you're homeschooling in high school. Out of all of the grades, the best grades to homeschool would be high school. And that's for that reason, because you can resourcefully work it out so that all of your students' high school classes are also worth college credit. Because the
1: price is so much more attractive Mm -hmm. in high school than it is after. Right, and before we get to price, there, I just want to add one more thing that th- uh, the parents have access to a syllabus. You were talking about um, topics that you're not sure if they, you want those covered with your, if your child's ready for that. They can get the access to the syllabus before the class, and and with everything being online, you can get into into the account of the class of your child's account and see what they're going to be talking about in the next week. You know, it's it's so much easier to see all that stuff now. I think, don't you?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people use websites like Rate My Professor or, you know, other websites that might give them a little insight as to what they're going to experience in that particular class. You know, there's a lot that goes into, um, you know, picking your classes and things like that. One of the things that um, I want to make sure we also say is that when a student is earning college credit in high school, that college credit is not turning them into a transfer student, and I think that's a big myth that a lot of people have, and that's because the way that the credit is recorded in high school uh, for the IPEDS, which is the, the mandatory reporting systems that college uses, the way that that's reported excludes high school students earn college credit from being classified as a transfer student so Mm -hmm. to to explain what that means is let's say that a student is in high school and they complete a year of college if you then graduate high school and you enroll in the college you still are applying as a freshman and you are still applying for first-time freshman scholarships and first-time freshman housing and first-time freshman financial aid and all of those things once your student is enrolled, they will do an assessment of their transcript. They will look at that college credit. They will evaluate it. They will apply it to your student's degree plan, and your student may then get bumped up to a sophomore right away or, or sometimes within that first semester. So they can come out of their freshman year with a lot more than 30 credits. So they're coming in as a freshman even though they're number of credits they've earned are going to actually bump them at some point during that first semester or first year.
1: Right. And when we talk about transferability of, of those credits uh, moving over, of course, dual enrollment out of things like ACE and CLEP exams, it has the highest transferability of, of the uh, likelihood of the college taking it. Now, it might take it as an elective, um, maybe not as the actual class that you wanted it to transfer as, but it'll take it as elective. But keep in mind that those what is those 1% those elite colleges they don't usually take any dual enrollment right yeah i mean so it, it's funny because sometimes we think about okay
0: how do we how do we want to you know please that 1% well unless that really is your student's target you know and they are clearly a candidate for getting into a college like that a lot of times using those rules to kind of tie your hands going to go to their regular, you know, public for your university, you're actually limiting what your student can do. And you're actually shortchanging them in some way, because if you take a more realistic approach and you say, listen, my student's going to go to the community college for two years and transfer to our in-state public university for the last two years, because that's what we can afford to do. And because we've got this plan, if you just start with that right out of the gate, those kinds of programs can be started in high school and i can tell you a lot of people even get that associate's degree in high school so you know you talk about transfer and i actually i keep a list but 38 states out of our 50 have determined that the general education courses and general education which is not all courses but the general education courses like your math and english and history and whatnot those taken for dual enrollment they are guaranteed to transfer into the other public colleges and universities. So it's not going to get lost. So if you take that English 101 course, like we were talking about in North Carolina Community College as a high school student, you are guaranteed that that English 101 course is going to count at the four-year public university in North Carolina. So knowing that in advance gives you tremendous leverage because you can then plan that as part of your student's high school experience. Now, if you have a very motivated student, they may even be able to complete the whole two-year degree that's going to transfer then into the four-year school. Thirty-five states have those. They're called articulation agreements. And those guarantee that that transfer degree is going to go perfectly into the four-year school. So knowing this stuff ahead of time and giving yourself enough time to kind of work out these plans, if you have a high school student, it can make so much difference.
1: Yeah, and have, there are some uh, programs out there in the high schools called middle college. And mm-hmm. from what I've seen, you're actually going, you're taking an extra year. So you've got five years of high school. And then when you get out, you only have, what is it, one year left to get your AA? And I'm not so sure that that really cuts down on on time. <laughs> no. We have, we have middle college
0: in North Carolina as well. I don't know if that's in all 50 states. Middle college is... I think probably the public schools answer to how to get funding for an extra year. <laughs> oh
1: Yeah. I, yeah. Five years in high school. And I'm like, how is that, how is that helping? It, it doesn't use in high
0: school to get a two year college degree. So if you start when your student is academically ready, whenever that is, and you begin bringing college credit into the high school um, many students find that because of what you mentioned because it only takes that that semester to get that full credit most students can finish their high school requirements early and just keep working on accumulating college credit and it's it's not unusual at all for a student to take three classes in one semester and if you if you do that for the first uh, fall semester and then you do that for the spring semester your student is actually, you know, working very quickly towards an associate's degree. Um, if your student can take more than three classes, or is willing to do it over the summer, uh, they can certainly complete more than than that. So, uh, I think high school students who take six or seven classes at a time would be surprised to know that a college load is almost lighter.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and some of these. Co- uh classes for dual enrollment are eight weeks they're not a semester long they're not the 16 week they're eight weeks and so we always thought about okay if you're taking the eight week uh, assume you're doing at least two hours a day of work you know that's the 10 hours a week is that what what you used to go by if you're doing an eight week well i i okay so i've had four students go through dual enrollment programs and all
0: have graduated high school with college credit earned from dual enrollment Mm -hmm. My youngest did a degree. So I feel like we've got a lot of experience just in our family. So using my own personal experience to answer that question, I I don't think it matters too much. I feel like it's going to come down to um, how many classes they're taking. And the reason that I say that is to kind of caution parents against counting the, the credits or looking at, you know, the term length it's really how many classes they take because I've had my sons have taken one and two credit classes that were as much work as a three or four credit class. Mm. And, and I've had my youngest son took a five credit class that I didn't think was very much work at all. So, you know, it's supposed to reflect like the, the shortened semesters or the eight, you know, the eight versus 16 week semesters are supposed to reflect um, a more intense semester um that's not always the case though so Mm -hmm. i i would say you know as you think about this always start with one to me you know you want to set them up for success Mm -hmm. you do not want to talk about you know how to get how to backtrack how to recover from a bad decision which we're going to talk about today but you really want to make sure that your student is successful so if if your student the opportunity to take one of those accelerated eight-week classes, or they have an opportunity to take, you know, many, many classes, start with one, start with one, nail it, make sure they get an A, and then from there you can, you know, kind of have an information about how that was and decide whether or not you want to do more of that. In the, in the coming weeks
1: and you've recommended that th- you know the, the first class they take right out of the gate if you can take something that is high interest to them that's something they really like so they have a high likelihood of passing in and, and have a win right out of the gate isn't that funny because that feels like common sense
0: to me but it's not common sense <laughs> 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 like if your student struggles in math Don't put them in a math class for their first college experience. That's horrible because not only are they going to struggle when it's a very high risk situation, but they're not going to enjoy it. So I think that even though it's a great idea, if they can, you know, if they have a class that will also count maybe towards a future college degree or something like that, I think that's great if it does that. But really, I think you hit the nail on the head. You want those first credits to be high interest. And that high interest is going to motivate, you know, if it's computer programming, let's say, have them take a Java class. You know, yeah, it might not count as a general education course. It might not meet, you know, one of their core four graduation requirements, but that's really not what is going to motivate your student. Your student doesn't really care that they're meeting a requirement or that they're saving you money. I mean, maybe they will, you know, eventually, but that's not what they're thinking about. A a high school student is worried that it's going to be too hard or too much work. That's, That's where their mind is going. So they're thinking to themselves, you know, seventh grade is harder than sixth grade. Eighth grade is harder than seventh grade. Ninth grade is harder than eighth grade, right? And now here my parent or my high school counselor wants me to take a college class, gosh, that's going to be, you know, two and three times harder than what I'm already doing. So they're going to be a little bit nervous about that. So when you give them an opportunity to take a high interest class, something that they totally love, then that gives them actually a different kind of experience because now they're saying, wait a minute, you know, I get to take stuff that I'm interested in instead of what someone's telling me to take. That's, that's great, right? And. Then it also gives them the chance to to earn that high grade, which will fuel their motivation
1: and get cost. get a taste of college and say, "Oh, that's not that bad." Mm-hmm. That was, yeah. really, you know, that's different than high school, and and it's not that bad. Now let's let's right. let's talk about cost. So one of the greatest benefits of dual enrollment is bringing down the cost of your degree. And so, um, you know, it could, as you said, there. If they go through the public high school they could be getting this for free and the homes- yeah, most most of the high schools
0: do have an avenue for a student to get this funded and if you're in public school that is possibly your community college it could also um be called something else like you mentioned middle college but there's a, a ton of names for this so it could be concurrent enrollment it could be dual credit it could be dual enrollment there's you know there's a lot of names but what whatever the case may be what what you need to find out is whether or not you have this opportunity for your student to do this for free. So in a school setting, if the if the college classes are happening at your high school, which is to say that you have a teacher who has been approved and qualified to teach that English 101 in the high school, to high school students, right? That's not going to cost any money. That's going to be funded by the school. If your student has to go to you mentioned before, or even do that online, there could be a cost there. That is something you have to find out. Now, one thing is 100% sure for everybody, and that's that once you graduate high school, you will pay full price. So the incentive to doing it early is right off the bat that cost savings. So free is possible for many, many, many students. Um, it's going to matter if they go to public school, private school, or home school. Now, if you're homeschooled, you only have free dual enrollment in 13 states. So that is a little bit harder to find. And even within those 13 states, there's some restrictions there. Some states are not wide open. Um, I, I spoke about North Carolina earlier, but let me give you an example. In Ohio, Ohio has uh, an, an allotment that they give out to those homeschoolers. So you might only have, you know, six college credits that your student can, can get funded for the year. But what I want to talk about with cost here is that just because you don't have free dual enrollment or just because you only have, you know, that allotment of let's say six credits or just because it's not available until 11th grade, like all of those things that are part of the cost, that is not to say that you can't do it. So, I mean, we keep a list and I'll make sure that it's in the show notes of colleges, college credit to anybody. And this could be one class, it could be two classes, three classes, whatever, but these colleges open up their dual enrollment for free to anyone in some amounts you know might be one or two classes uh, per year there's definitely the self-pay option for everybody so everybody listening has the self-pay option and the self-pay option is going to almost always be a fraction of what you're going to pay after high school it might be a a thousand dollars of credit after high school it might be a hundred dollars of credit during high school. hundred dollars per credit during high school.
1: Right. We have a, we're here in Michigan. We have a, a religious college that discounts the cost, and then you pay as a homeschooler. You pay um, if you're outside the public school system. You pay their discounted. You don't even have. You don't pay full price. Just what they would normally charge per credit. So that's another question to make sure that you ask if you're on your own doing this is, is what is the cost for me self-pay as a for my high school student?
0: Yeah, and the thing that parents need to know is that no matter where your student goes to school, you're not going to have access to federal financial aid in high school. So that is, uh, that's a good thing to, you know, because you think, well, we don't want high school students taking out student loans, but you'll have to self-pay so you do want to price shop and you do want to think about that because there's going to be the cost of the tuition whatever amount that is which is typically calculated per credit so a three credit course is the norm but you're going to find classes that are more or less than three if you have a class um, or rather a college that charges a hundred dollars per credit if you look at the class and the class is three credits that's going to cost three hundred dollars so you have the tuition cost and that you'll have to calculate based on the amount of money per credit and some students will have to pay for textbooks and i say some because a lot of colleges now are integrating the textbook electronically right into the class so you may not have a textbook cost and some colleges will uh, pay for textbooks others are going to charge you a fee it's all over the place as far as textbooks go i think they're i think that the textbook industry is trying to kind of figure out their next their next strategy as we move away from paper based textbooks. And so you're gonna find all kinds of different configurations there. But but you may have a textbook cost in there as well. So it's not just tuition, but you also want to th- any kind of textbooks and or maybe even lab fees. If you're doing a computer or a science class that has a lab, there could be a
1: lab fee there. Okay, and you know these dual enrollment is open quite could be open as secular or religious colleges. Don't think that it's just for secular. Yeah,
0: I mean, even even though the state may pay for it, some states will actually still pay for religious colleges, um, and and that depends on where you are. You know, I spoke about Ohio a minute ago. Ohio has a list of two and four year colleges, secular and religious colleges, on their list of approved schools. So it could it could be um a a lot of different opportunities now earlier i also spoke about north carolina north carolina has one program and that is through the community colleges that's it so as a high school student if you want to do dual enrollment and you want it paid for your only option is the community college
1: Mm. yeah here in michigan you uh you have your choice as a homeschooler you can go to a uh, religious college or a secular college and, and take those classes and and uh we also have something here in Michigan where you, a homeschooler can be a part of what they call a partnership. So that's their way of getting into uh, funds that would be given to the public school students, but you're not going to public school, and there's some caveats to that. But, um, you know, that's th- the states might have an, a, a partnership that allows the homeschoolers to take part in getting some money from the state, if you so choose. Sometimes the homeschooler families don't want any part of the state money, and so that's fine. They don't have to do that, and they can just self-pay
0: Yeah, and we kind of were neglecting the the private school. But the thing about the private school is that it's going to be the wild, wild west. It's going to be all over the place. It may or may not even allow your student to take a dual enrollment class. We have several private schools here in North Carolina that don't even participate. Mm -hmm. They just just don't participate. Um, And so if you have, again, if you have that situation where you don't have access through your student's school, you can still seek that out. Um, and you may you may even want to look outside of your state. So the thing about dual enrollment out of your state, keep in mind if you're going out of state for dual enrollment, it's always going to be a self-pay situation. There's no state programs that are going to fund education in someone else's state. That's not going to happen. So it's always going to be self-pay. And dual enrollment out of state, it doesn't mean that you send your student elsewhere. It's going to it's going to occur as a distance learning situation. So. Your student, of course, when they're doing these dual enrollment courses, they're not going out of state. They're not going to uh, live in a dorm or anything like that. You're doing this uh, as a high school student, but you're either using distance learning or if it's local, you can go on campus. Um, But the, the out of state programs, you might you know, you might be able to have those programs transfer back in locally, particularly if your student is doing general education and you know, when you kind of think about the whole United States as being your buffet, like you can pick and choose and price shop. I think West Virginia is one of our cheaper states for allowing out-of-state dual enrollment. I think they are still $25 per credit, which is a lower rate than what some in-state students get as a reduction in in tuition. So, yeah, yeah, super, super great. But you're not going to have a transfer agreement. In other words, A student in Ohio is not going to be able to take um, a class in West Virginia that is guaranteed to transfer back, right? So if you choose those general education courses that Shelly and I talked about, like the math, English, history, psychology, literature, those kinds of courses, they'll really improve your chances of that uh, credit transfer. And the other thing, too, I don't think we said, but you don't have to earn a degree at the college that you're using for dual enrollment. Most students just take a class or two, and then those reduced or free class credits get sent to the college of their choice later after high school.
1: Right. Yeah, and so, you know, remember again, so the things to watch out for uh, when you're looking at dual enrollment is, we talked about this, that this is on their permanent record, so you want a win for them right out of the gate. And again, we said that you want to try to pick something of high interest for them that they feel is, uh, if your student likes history, then maybe U.S. U.S. History is going to be the one that's going to be in a general, that's going to fill a general education um, uh, class course there. And remember, general education is that first 60 credits, a degree is usually about 120 credits, and the general education thats that first 60 credits. And right, so and if you live in one of those lucky states that have transfer agreements in place, they're going to be
0: able to map it out so that your student can earn possibly an entire associate's degree. and you know depending on you, there's two paths with the associate's degree one is off to work and the other is into a four-year university but if you're talking about the transfer those first 60 are going to be something that you can work with your advisor at the college as far as you know completing those so that that associate's degree nests perfectly inside the bachelor's degree when they transfer and if you have a student who is highly motivated You'll find that they can for sure do, you know, almost two years or a full two years during high school. And if you have an associate's degree option, by the way, that is so worth doing, especially if you're in a state that has that transfer agreement, because that's going to guarantee your student to transfer. So I want you to think about like the numbers here. So they're working on their first two years in high school. So every, year that they're doing in high school we're not shortening their high school experience because high school is free we're shortening their college experience because that's what they're paying for right so they're completing maybe their whole first freshman year in high school well that's going to save the, the family the cost not only of the tuition and the books and the fees but it's also going to cost or save money off the dorm fees and all of the, the whole expenses of that year so if you have a student who can shave two years off of their college experience, even at a public school. I mean, we're talking almost $50,000 that you can do by taking advantage of that. And if it's free, then that's $50,000 saved, right? But even if it's even if it's a reduced tuition, it might cost you $5,000 in high school to get a $50,000 bucket of credit to use later. So you're still saving a lot of money. You're being really intentional here in shortening their college experience, not shortening their high school experience.
1: Right. Yeah, you know, I have a, uh, I was working with a family bias. I was helping her to um, sort out a degree and how she could work dual enrollment and, and all the ways to get the co- college credit cheaper. And she, I figured out something for her. And uh, the funny thing was is that when she showed her daughter the plan for the gr- degree that she wanted, and she's still in high school, she looked at it and she said, so I have a purpose, which is w- really... Which is really funny that she said that because it's really telling. It's that do these kids in high school feel like they're just checkmarking off boxes and that they're they're robots and they just need to take what they need to take, and then when you actually get to a a, a major that you choose, and then they see that they have light at the end of the tunnel. This is what I'm choo- choosing, and this is what I um, what um, I need to do to do to get there. Remember, she's just going. Sh- she's still in high school, and she was just. She just lit up, you know, I, I have a purpose. And wow. then it just became different for her, these, co- these wow. courses.
0: That's such a light bulb moment.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, because it, they, they get more, con- you know, they have more control. They see that they know that they're going to want to get a degree, and so they pick the degree, and then they, s- they, I don't know, they just see light at the end of the tunnel, I guess. It was, it was really neat to hear that, that, that they were taking ownership and they didn't feel like just a cog in the machine. You know, And that
0: brings us to the other type of dual enrollment that a student can do, which is that kind of dual enrollment that leads to a career. And so a lot of times people call that career and technical education. Um, I'll use my youngest son as an example because he finished his associate's degree in welding and he did that in high school. Uh, It was not easy. It took a lot of work to do that, but he did finish his degree in welding in high school. And when he started he, about 10th grade, I think, really knew that he wanted to pursue welding as a career. So, you know, did that inform what we did in high school? Yeah, 100%, because those programs were available. They were free to do. They were high-interest courses. Now, in his particular case, he was not the student who was doing honors English, okay? He, he struggled to do um, a lot of those academics In terms of you know higher than his grade level but what he could do like a rock star was was his welding classes and so 10th grade 11th grade he did nothing but welding classes and he finished his welding uh pieces in high school now you have other students that are doing nursing they're doing culinary they're doing computers they're doing um cad or computer aided draft uh, computer aided design i guess they call it now Um, Maybe they're, you know, they're doing programming, they're doing landscaping. There's a lot of different career and technical pathways that are open to students in high school. So even if your student is not super strong academically, they can start taking those courses that are in the field. So, you know, if there was a, a opportunity for my son to do more welding, he was all about it. And what I had hoped would happen and, and did happen is that by the time he was in about 12th grade, he was ready to do his general education requirements. So he did do his Englishes and his maths and all of those sociology and all that stuff. But he did that later after after we had so much momentum behind him that there was no stopping him at that point. You know, So I think sometimes you have to look at your student. If you have a student that is not planning on going to school for four years but instead wants a degree that leads to a job, see if you can start that in high school because chances are really high that you can. And that's not only a way to get them college credit, but it brings the goalposts that much closer. And instead of waiting till after high school to start that welding program, he graduated high school and his college on the same exact week and was ready to start his career when the rest of his peers were starting college. So, um, you know, without going into the math of it i mean he's able to earn a salary as an adult that other students are unable to do until they get that credential one or two years from now so it really puts a student ahead in a big way and
1: of course he has no debt right right and you know i just really i encourage parents to do their own research too because uh, i had a friend whose daughter was in the public schools and when her dad inquired about dual enrollment. The counselor told him, oh, I'd never have my child do dual enrollment. And he ignored that advice and signed her up, and it was a great experience for her. So don't just take it from one person. Do do your – because they they may be biased. Maybe they had a bad experience, and they're biasing their, their recommendations. So parents, really do your um, re- own research.
0: Yeah, and don't be afraid to bring dual enrollment into your student's schedule, even if you're not the one that provides the high school credit. Meaning if they go to public school or private school, even even if they aren't going to be eligible to get that high school credit, don't let that intimidate you. They can still do one class. They can still do you know one class in the fall, one class in the spring, and maybe a couple classes over the summer. Like you can still bring that in, even if the high school is not going to give them that credit. And if you're a homeschooler, as they... Um, become academically able, you can replace 100% of their homeschool, high school classes with college classes, and they can really um, make huge, huge, huge gains. Right. Yeah. Well, as we wind down today's episode, I wanted to tell you about one of the ways that we're expanding the College on the Cheap podcast into an entirely new channel over at patreon.com. So Patreon, T-A-T-R-E-O-N, is where our College on the Cheap World is gonna be built. This is brand new. We just launched it last month and we are in full cheapskate building mode. (laughs) So you're invited to jump in over there. Uh, This is our inaugural year and and we're very excited about that. One thing that is special each month is as we do these podcasts, uh, we are gonna be putting mini books that are companions for each of the episodes into that world. And so there's going to be even more depth and it's going to talk about the strategies of how to actually implement a lot of the things that we only have time to talk about um, in our time here with you. So these books are, are gonna be written exclusively for our community. They're not gonna be published elsewhere. They're not gonna be on a website. They're just gonna be inside of our Patreon. And then the other thing which we started talking about with you guys last month was our case studies. So if you listened last month, you know that we take a college or colleges and then we dissect those. So we dig into the cost, the tuition, and all of the pennies that make up the cost of that degree. And then we go in and we revamp it. We slash it down. We use our best strategies that we can think of, whether it's bringing in transfer credit or credit by exam or special scholarships that aren't advertised. Uh, If you look back, Shelly's last case study that she did last month, she did a degree plan over at Post University. And I believe that their advertised price for that degree was $178,000. And she got that down to under $15,000. So this is real stuff. This is absolutely uh, real stuff. It's, it's not just theoretical, you know, uh, exciting things that we're telling you. These are real ways for your student to get through college and get through college on the cheap. So I think um, I'll share that this month I'm doing a case study. I'm gonna dissect two different historically black college and universities here in North Carolina and show you how to get those bachelor's degrees for under $2,000. Again, this is real numbers, this is not just hypothetical. So I'm super excited about that and we're gonna be doing case studies every single month. Also last month we paid for 12 people to take the 90 day degree class. And you may remember 90 day degree from episode five. So we're doing that for free and this month we're gonna do another dozen of those, but I saved the best for last. So I announced last month that my new book, College on the Cheap, is going to hit the shelves in Christmas, but our Patreon community is getting their Christmas present early. So every month between now and Christmas, I'm putting a chapter in our Patreon account for people to read. And so in May, I released Chapter Zero. In June, I dropped Chapter One, An Absolute Sense of Mission. And this month, July, I'm going to put Chapter Two in there. And this uh, chapter is called You're Doing It Wrong, which I think is the key to reframing your approach on how you fund college. Let's see, next month is Chapter 3, Tippy Tippy Top High Achievers, Uh, Chapter 4 is Moving at the Speed of Budget, and so on. You get the idea. So I can't think of a better investment for your $7 than to visit us over at patreon.com slash collegeonthecheap. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash collegeonthecheap. So until next time, I'm Jennifer Cook DeRosa.
1: And I'm Shelley Cloutier.
0: And you've been listening to College on the Cheap.